Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant, need-to-know information to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader, and for the team at all levels of the organization. Our goal is concise and relevant information because brevity signals respect. And the bookends of our podcast are always something to make you think deeper about life, about our topic, or both. And now, here's Chris Como. Hello and welcome. Before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsor, Delta Care RX. Delta Care RX is the title sponsor for TCN's 2022 Leadership Immersion Courses. Delta Care RX is the premier vendor of TCN and provides pharmacy benefit management services that allow their clients to experience deep discounts utilizing a preferred local network of pharmacies that can provide same-day delivery when necessary. Just want to really thank Delta Care X for all the great work they do throughout the hospice and powdered care industry. Also a plug for our next Telios Collaborative Network Leadership Immersion Course. Our next one is the week of November 7th. Um, this training has been reviewed in some of the most potent and powerful leadership training in the hospice and powdered care space. And so leaders have given it incredible reviews, incredible thumbs up. We'd love for you to check it out. Just go to our website at Telios. T-E-L-E-I-O-S-C-N dot org and look under courses. So I'm excited. Our guest today is Carol Fisher. Carol's the president of the MPHI, which is a national partnership for healthcare and hospice innovation. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Chris. I am so excited to be here today. It's really a privilege. So thanks for having me. Absolutely, Carol. Well, first off, we always start with what does our audience need to know about you? Oh my gosh. Well, on a personal note, I tether my time between Las Vegas and right outside of New Orleans. Uh, those of you who do know me uh, know that uh, I have about 28 animals today, including a pet pig and a pet goat. So it's been fun to, to tether my time and, and live a very interesting life um, on a personal note. You know, professionally, Chris, I started my career in social work. Um, I'm not very shy, so I always move to the front of the room. And I found myself in leadership positions starting in behavioral health care. Um, and as we talk about end-of-life care today, there's certainly a lot of similarities between the behavioral health care work that I did back in the day and, and the end-of-life care work that I do today. Um, things to know about me, so behavioral health, social worker, um, I worked for an insurance company where I was responsible to lead their uh, primary care clinics, specialty clinics, urgent care clinics. And Chris, they handed me a call center and I said, I've got to go back to mission-driven work. So I went over to Nathan Adelson Hospice in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is a well-known, well-respected hospice organization, not-for-profit, and within a year became president and CEO. Spent about 14 years there, and now here I am as president of NPHI and, and just um, incredible organization, membership organization that I'm honored to serve with. Yeah, in fact, in just a second, Carol, I'd love for you to tell a little bit more about NPHI. But as I was listening to you, I was reminded, I literally can still picture it in my mind's eye at the NHPCO conference. Um, Quint Studer had just given a presentation, and I was manning the booth at the time of the Studer Covenant Alliance. And this very regal, very stately, very well put together woman walked up to me and said, tell me more about what you do. And that's when our friendship was born. It's probably 2006, 2007, somewhere in that ballpark. And 
you've been a great friend, a great mentor. You and I have worked together in a lot of different projects. And I've been looking forward to this podcast for a while because you just have a lot of good influence in the industry. And I think you have a great way of putting what's coming. But before we go there, just a little bit more about MPHI, I think will be helpful for the listeners. Yeah, well, thank you. And I have fond memories. I think we were in Florida when I first met you. And I may have been looking regal, but inside I was saying, help me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm doing at the helm of a hospice organization. Well, you played uh, your role incredibly time. well. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you. So MPHI, uh, the National Partnership for Healthcare and Hospice Innovation, is a membership organization. Um, as of today, we're 84 members. I'm so proud of that. Uh, we're in a growth mode because we're just not-for-profit, mission-driven membership. And it really, um, we'll speak about that today, what's going on in not-for-profit hospice care versus for-profit hospice care. But uh, the challenges really speak to why we're in a growth mode. Uh, we really um, have three overarching goals at MPHI. Um, preserve the hospice benefit and protect it, but protect it in a way where we recognize that we have to grow and evolve the benefit because it was established over 40 years ago and times have changed, things are different. We're also very committed to advancing new models of care. Uh, we do that through the Innovations Lab and our work um, on innovative business strategies is very important to us. And lastly, we want to make sure that we drive the bad actors out of the environment. A lot of growth because of the way the benefits design. And we want to eliminate those, um, those incentives and make those barriers so that our members, our 84 plus as we grow members, are recognized for the good work they do. And you know, we're, our members are those community-owned organizations, I like to call them. They are the safety net organizations. They never refuse people because they can't pay. They don't turn people down because of diagnosis and how complex the care might be on the other side of, of caring for that patient. So our members are, are all over the country, and we um, are very proud of the work we're doing. Good deal, Carol. Well, I, I think we're going to have several play on words when we talk throughout this podcast. I, I kind of heard you say, preserve, protect, and evolve the benefit, which I love framing it that way, which may kind of sound like a brain teaser to people, but that's exactly what we need to do, especially a benefit that's been around as long as hospice. So I've been toying with the title for our podcast today. In fact, as I say it, I may even have um, our producer, Jeff, superimpose. Carol, you may have seen a picture I shared. Um, we just got back from Pensacola, hence my uh, beach tan. My daughter, a couple years ago, took this beautiful picture, and it was this storm headed our way on the beach. And my tagline I always use is, is it something beautiful or is it something scary? And the answer is always, it's a bit of both. And so I think what we'll title the podcast today is The Ongoing Perfect Storm headed our way, which sounds like a brain teaser. <laughs> and so oh, I love that, Chris. I and that, that old Chinese kind of parable, right? May you live in interesting times absolutely applies to us. And so we live in some very interesting times, especially those of us who've been part of this hospice movement, hospice segment for so long now. So I'd love to hear you hold forth. What is coming from your perspective? Yeah. You know, I, I've been talking a lot about this perfect storm and um, to piggyback on what you're saying. And it, 
I looked up the definition because I wanted to make sure, like, am I really, really thinking about this clearly? And it, it talked about this particularly bad or critical state of affairs that arise from um, a number of negative, um, unpredictable factors, right? And we even live in a perfect storm. Our members, your members, have been living in this perfect storm for a good three to four years. And then COVID just heightened um, all of the changes. So we're seeing a lot, you know, we're seeing that our members are struggling with the competition, with the growth in the industry and the for-profits. A lot of programs just innovating around our, our members. Um, we can talk about that further if you like. Um, we're seeing workforce challenges. We were seeing it before COVID, but there is a significant shift uh, in workforce dynamics and the for-profit Hospital systems, healthcare systems are offering significant bonuses to people to recruit them. So we're seeing a lot in the workforce challenges. Um, the payment uh, structure and, and what is ahead of us is changing. Um, certainly inflation, uh, sequestration. So a lot is coming at our members all at once. Um, and I want to just give a disclaimer here. I, I think that anybody that works at the bedside is an incredible human being. Amen. You know, it takes a lot to care for a hospice patient and to support their family and to be present during that time. You have one chance to help someone die well. Um, it's, it's a very unique opportunity of care. And at the same time, the business models, Chris, are just significantly different. Mm -hmm. it, you know, there's a big difference between a for-profit and a not-for-profit. And that doesn't mean that the people working there delivering the care are bad people. But it has wreaked havoc with our not-for-profit members and making sure and ensuring that we are sustainable. We were the first ones here 40 years plus, the majority of our members. Um, and we want to be the last one standing here. So it, and it competition is fine, but the business practices are really of great concern. So when I say that for profits typically have a profit margin of anywhere from like 14 to 25% and not, and it's growing, it's not declining and not for profits, their profit margin, if any, is on the decline. And you see this dramatic difference between, uh, where the uh, profit margin is, like we're declining like up to 20% difference than the for-profit. So it's significant. We're also seeing, so I'm just sharing this in no particular order, Chris. Yep. We're also seeing um, Medicare utilization of the hospice benefit is increasing and more people are moving into managed Medicare plans. Um, we predict, we see a lot of research that in the next decade, over 50% of people who are eligible for Medicare won't be in a fee-for-service plan. They'll be in a managed Medicare plan. Uh, and that's significant when we look at what's coming ahead with new models of care, including the carbon. So, um, you know, there's just a lot coming at us at once. Um, average length of stay has increased dramatically. It's like 97 days, but there's an emphasis in the for-profits. And so part of that business model I was talking about is the for-profits tend to care for patients that are 
easier to care for, that they reside in one place, let's say a nursing home, versus our members who go all around their cities to care for patients wherever they reside, um, including people that are most vulnerable. They could be homeless. They could be in prisons. I mean, we never discriminate. So you're seeing a lot of differences. Our length of stay is much lower than a for-profit. Um, and the patients we take care of are more vulnerable and more complex. Let me pause there for a minute and see if you have any reactions, because I can keep going on and on. Yeah, gosh, like. so much to unpack there. Um, one thing, I love the way you phrased it, and you said innovate around. Can you just yeah. unpack that a bit more, Carol, about what do you mean by they're innovating around us? That may sounds like, well, maybe they're doing stuff that we should be doing, but I think you actually mean it in a different way. Yeah, you know, we, we've we heard that phrase a lot coming from Gary, actually, Gary Backer. And, and, you know, and I have such great respect for Gary. And when he talks about this innovating around us, we're seeing... Um, the benefit redesigned without having to be called hospice. Mm -hmm. And so that, that access to patients and caring for them in their homes without having to adhere to the conditions of participation for the hospice benefit is of great concern. Yep. And I think it really, I know it has our attention um, wholeheartedly. And what's interesting too is we were the first ones caring for patients in their home. But what we see today is that's where care is moving. And yep. it was moving there before COVID, but it's really accelerated now. We have urgent care at home. We have rehab at home. We have hospital at home, primary care in the home. I mean, we're really seeing a big shift. There's this home-based medical co-management of care, and it's much different now. And so it tends to go into our swim lane of our expertise and innovating around us is really happening and very prevalent. And so preserving the integrity of the benefit and making sure that our members are relevant and necessary in this delivery of care. I mean, my goodness, we are the experts. Our members are the experts in providing complicated, complex care, um, especially in the home. That's well said, Carol. An analogy that occurred to me a couple of weeks ago, and so I don't know if you're like me, and so my wife and I go out on date night. Sometimes when I'm hurried up to, to make an order, I don't choose the right thing. And then after the fact, if my wife got something good or maybe someone we're double dating with, and I'm like, oh, I should have chose that in retrospect. And as an analogy, therein lies a huge challenge for us, that our customer we don't get do-overs. And so we're walking on sacred ground. And the challenge is it's hard. We don't get repeat customers usually in the work that we do. So there's no do-over. So quite often they don't really understand what they're choosing when they're choosing hospice. So it's not, it's not a true free market product where, hey, may the best man win because you have all these complicating factors that you're talking about. And so I think that it just, it's a challenge for all of us is that um, the customer is not overly informed. Now, kudos to you guys, because at MPHI, I think we're playing offense nationally or trying to, to help people understand better. Um, and maybe that is going to change as the baby boomers do age more. Quite often, maybe they were the caregiver for their parents, and then now they're becoming, so they're going to be a little bit more informed customer. But generally, I, I think that um, has been our challenge. 
the other thing I was thinking about, Carol, I'm sorry, did you want to say something to that? No, I, I just want to say I agree. I mean, MPHI collectively, we're caring for over 70,000 patients a day. And, you know, not all of that is hospice. It's advanced um, care opportunities, some primary care at home and the like. And, you know, we have to tell our story differently. And so we have to make sure our branding is, is pristine and making sure that we're speaking to the consumers and there's different consumers. Yep. It's payers, it's healthcare groups that are providing care and making that referral. It's the patient, it's the family. So we have a lot of different audiences to talk to. Yeah, that's so well said. Um, you know, you know, I grew up in the business world, Fortune 50 companies, KPMG, Pete Marwick. It was a great place to learn business. And so I think I'm about ready to say what I'm about ready to say from an informed standpoint. This is one of the most complicated um, delivery mechanisms. I hate to call it a business because hospice is so meaningful to people. But if we're going to use businesses, business words, it is super complicated because to your point, there's not just one customer. There's so many stakeholders and it's not free market. We can't we don't control our prices. So it's just very complicated. So a lot of typical things in economics and business is just more complicated in our space, which when you were saying earlier, Carol, about the difference in margins between for-profits and non-profits, um, you know, if I'm 200 pounds and my wife is 100 pounds, the average between us is 150. We're very different people. Well, as for-profits, as those margins and non-profits internationally, they're saying, well, guys, your hospice industry is 12% average or 10%. And then you form an opinion about that. When you actually look at the distribution, it's much different as you described. And it's not because nonprofits are inefficient. It's because of the complexity of what we're providing. And we're trying to meet all of those needs. And so as a tale of two cities, and you could form some really messed up opinions by taking the average of those two things. Would you say it that differently? or? Yeah, no. And I, I think you have to stop and say, okay, well, what is all this growth about? You know, why is there 345% growth in the for-profit industry coming into our space? You know, and obviously uh, a business, and, and we are a business, and, and we our members are businesses with these incredible hearts and souls um, is how I like to, to define it. When I was at the helm of Nathan Adelson Hospice, you know, we're a business, but we're this business that cares and does the right thing for the right reasons. The growth in the for-profit industry is very concerning. They're not touching patients the same as we are. They're not um, welcoming all patients. They're very selective in their business model. And it's of great concern. I mean, we know that our members provide 10% more nursing visits, 35% more social work visits. Um, we have a, a live discharge rate that's much less than a for-profit. And you have to stop and take a look and go, why is this happening? And how are we going to preserve and protect our programs? Yep. And, and I just went off on a tangent. I'm not even sure, Chris, I answered your question. No, you, you did. You very much did. Carol, were there mm -hmm. any other like macro factors that you didn't kind of touch upon? The workforce challenges, I so agree with you. I think I mentioned to you recently, we brought a very interesting person in um, he takes obscure databases, and he actually projected the, the additional need for services for all of our TCN members. Carol, those trend lines were like my microphone on the screen. It wasn't gradual. It was like a straight-up ascent. So we're already having staffing challenges, and that's what the projected need for our services is going to be. And so I don't know if you want to say any more about that, but that is something that really keeps me up at night. 
the workforce challenges yep. overall. Yeah, yep. it, it's horrific. And I think I think we have to stop and say, okay, what is there to learn? What can we do different? Um, I, you know, I love the fact that I'm hearing many members offer a hybrid approach for their workforce that they can still spend some time in their home on Zoom, not make everyone come back and make it as attractive as possible and really paying attention to the culture of their organizations. We um, hear a lot about that. I was on a call earlier today with a wonderful member who's spending probably 80% of his time as a CEO just working on culture, making sure that he's communicating over-communicating and not just through email um, because he really is is insisting that his folks connect the work to purpose and make sure that that's a retention strategy. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, you're singing my um, my heart song there because um, I do think culture is going to be a huge differentiator. I was actually talking to Quint Studer recently and He's just, you know, he spent his most of his life's career on that and just doubling down that. It's been important most of his life, but looking forward, it becomes even more important because there's just not going to be enough staff to go around. And so yeah. you're going to, everyone's going to have to do their very best to create a very amazing work culture. So people want to be a part of it, but then also that in a culture that's resilient, because as you've been paying the picture, there's so much change coming down the pike. You know, the good old days of, well, this is just the way we do it and just settle in. And, you know, it's just going to be so much change we're going to be navigating. So, Carol, the last thing we haven't really touched upon is some of the payer stuff like Medicare Advantage. Did you want to speak at all about that upcoming challenge? Well, I think in addition to the fact of paying attention that the managed Medicare benefit um, is becoming more attractive and more utilized by beneficiaries, uh, and less on the fee-for-service side. I mean, we're seeing a real shift. There is an opportunity for folks to really get to know the payers in their community and really work with them strategically. And I know that you're, you and your team are doing a lot of work in that area. And there's a lot to unpack there and a lot of opportunities and learning. Um, I believe that you have to learn how to talk to a payer. And when we lead with just coming in that we're the best hospice, it doesn't go far. You know, you have to really understand what problems a payer is trying to solve and really look at the fact that they're in a quality mindset for those quality outcomes today um, versus quantity. So how do you how do you take what we do so well and help them understand that we can measure our differences, that we have a, a value proposition, um, you know, really communicating those intangibles? I think our members have um far exceeded going above and beyond with the social determinants of care and it's almost like you've got to unpeel what you do you've got to not unpeel but you've got to peel it down right like an onion and say oh my gosh i can help you with transportation i can help you with food insecurity i can help you with inequity um and the diversity um challenges that are payers are having. So I just think there's real opportunity there. That's probably an entire podcast. Yeah, it really is. Spend time on. Yeah. Well, Carol, any closing thoughts of just thinking about, you know, our listeners are incredible leaders, but also staff in the hospice and palliative care space. And so what kind of final closing thoughts would you leave them with? You know, I, I think that we have to continue to work together. I think we have to all remember why we got into this work that this work matters, that we're making a difference, and together we're stronger. 
Uh, I think we have to remember to innovate and be willing to try new things, and me included in that. And uh, I just think uh, our members are just, uh, your members from Teleos, incredible individuals that are supporting people at end of life. So we will continue to fight the good fight. And hey, Chris, thanks for having me on here. It was yeah, a lot no, of fun. Well, and, and, thanks, thank and thanks to you and your team, Carol, just how you are fighting the good fight from your perspective. And there is a difference with the mission-focused, community-owned, nonprofit mm -hmm. organizations that you and I get the privilege. And I feel like, you know, I say I've grown up in this industry. I feel like we've kind of grown up together um, mm -hmm. in in this segment, this uh, movement. And the people that were the pioneers, you know, we're not coming from the space of, well, we've always been here. We should always be here. We totally get we've got to innovate and change. But as you've painted the picture, not every hospice program in America is the same. And unfortunately, sometimes that word hospice is almost used like Kleenex. Um, you don't walk into a community and say, hey, I want hospital. They've done a good job of differentiating their differences amongst hospitals. We've got to do a better job differentiating. There is a difference in hospices, and we believe the nonprofit, community-owned, mission-driven organizations, they do it better. And we're going to do it even better together going forward into the future. And you guys are on the forefront of making sure that message is heard. So thanks to you and your team for making sure we'll continue to do that. Thank you, Chris. Well, I want to leave our listeners, as I always do, with a bookend of our podcast, which is a quote just to make you think either differently about life or also about the subject of today. And so when I came across this one, preparing for Carol and I's talk tonight is from William Bridges. Um, he's a, a great guru about change. And he says, transition differs from change. Change is a shift in people's situations. Transition, actually, is the psychological reorientation that they make to come to terms and then deal effectively with the change. So we're in a great time of transition and change and so appreciate all the great work, all of our listeners and Hospice and Powder Cure, what you do and looking forward that we're gonna navigate all this together well and make a great difference for patients and families. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks.